have a copy of God's Word, why don't you find the book of Philippians. If you're new to the Bible, Philippians is going to be the second half of your Bible. We call it the New Testament. And uh, you'll find a few big books, and then you'll stumble upon a series of small ones. We'll start with the book of Galatians, and then you'll hit Ephesians, and then you'll find this little bitty book called Philippians. If you're looking to, like, cross something off the list, you could say, man, I read a whole book of the Bible. Pick Philippians. It's only like three pages long, all right? But it's jam-packed with a lot of power, and I'm so excited to be able to start this new series and uh, excited just to come off the heels of that story because abundant life exists to see lives changed by Jesus. And man, what churns our butter, what salts our watermelon and sweetens our tea is when we see lives changed by Jesus. It's what jacks us up, man. We get so excited to see stories of young adults and of people who are impacted by the gospel. And we're kicking off this new series called Philippians. And the subtitle to the series is To Live Is Blank. And I wonder, you coming in here tonight, how would you fill in that blank? Like, what is your life about? What have you come in here in, in your young adult years, your 20s, your 30s? What are you living for and what have you lived for? I, I know for me, like, I would have filled in that blank a, a number of different ways. Like, like, a part of my life I would have filled in to live as sports, right? And so every day waking up, football is life for me. And, and maybe for me, uh, I would fill in that blank to live as career or success. I launched my own business right out of college and did that for a little while before getting into what I do today. To live is family maybe for some of you. How would you fill in that blank? I know that you've come in here much like I've come in here and there's this innate desire inside of all of us to belong, right? Like, like we want to know who our people are and, and to live is knowing who our people are and where we belong. Uh, studies have shown us that our generation, the millennial generation, man, we long to belong. We want to know who our people are, and we want to engage in, in some sort of community. And so what you've seen is like, like companies have picked up on this. And so uh, like Google, they have this, this open air concept where you just get to kind of chop it up with different people in the office. And, and, and it seems really cool, like, man, we could work for Google. Or there's this new thing where they create these different collaboration labs where a bunch of architects employed from different companies Companies, they'll actually work together, and what they found is, is that this is more engaging for the employee, and, and this is something that we long for, that we want to know who our people are, but what's ironic is that in our culture, I read a, a study, Gallup poll, they said that over half of the millennials in the workplace are not engaging in their culture. Some of you are like, that's my job, right? You know, it's not engaging, trying to find a new one. But anyway, and then we see this also in our culture, that we are the most connected culture with social media, with technology, but the irony is we're the most lonely culture too. And so we come in here and we have this innate sense to belong and then there's this other thing that we long to know and that's what is our purpose, right? Like, like we want to we wanna live a life of meaning and of substance. Like we watched our parents and, and it seemed like they, they accomplished the American dream for a lot of your folks. And but, but it still seemed like it was vanity at some level, right? And, and so we, we've kind of grown up in this environment where we're going, man, to live has got to be more meaning and more purpose and more value than, than what has happened before us. And so there's this, like, strong, overwhelming desire in our generation to find our purpose. Like Gallup Poll, they also did another extensive work research study, and, and they, they give this out to, to people who are employing millennials, and, and they're trying to figure us out, right? We're the, the greatest workforce in, in American history right now. And, and the number one thing is that millennials don't just want a profit, they also want a purpose, and so a lot of you, you've come in here uh, tonight and, and like you have taken a pay cut so that you can work for a company that's fair trade, that's, that, that's got um, you uh, accomplishing some sort of meaning and a part of the proceeds go to help this cause in the world and you want a life of purpose. And this is innate in our generation. I wonder, what is your life about? And we're about to get into this little letter, the letter called Philippians and and I believe that God is going to unveil some things to us and invite us to belong to a people and to have a purpose. And, and like, here's what, here's, just to show you my cards, man, I believe that God has sovereignly brought every one of you here tonight. And, and, and there are people that will listen to this message, and he has sovereignly allowed this message to be heard in social platforms. 
Because he does not make mistakes and he is weaving some things together because, listen, God wants you to belong to something that is phenomenal. And he wants you to have a purpose that is so rich and so robust that it's hidden in him. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, On Purpose. On Purpose, that everything God does is on purpose. He is not a mistake maker. He is perfect and he is sovereign. And maybe he has allowed some things to unfold in your life to bring you to this very moment. And what I want to do, it's going to be a little bit of a different message. We're going to look at three different people, and I hope that we will be able to identify with one of these three people at least, if not all three. And we're going to look at this person that was a seeker of God. We're going to look at another person that was enslaved to some sin. And then this other person that was just kind of indifferent, right? Like, like we'll see this guy, just, you know, he was just kind of living life. And maybe that's where you find yourself tonight. The guy that wrote this book, Philippians, is, is one of the greatest theologians of all time. He was like the, the greatest entrepreneur in Christianity Still to this day. And so he, his life's impacted by Jesus. And then, and then he hits uh, the scene in human history around the first century. And, and he just begins, like, he's just got this tenacity, this grit. He wants to make the whole world know about the gospel. And it, and it just seems that, that this guy, Paul, when, when he hits the scene in human history, it's like no stopping this guy. And, and he is all about Jesus, that Jesus impacted this guy. And so he spent a lot of time starting churches. And much of our New Testament are these letters that Paul wrote to these churches. And when you begin to read them, like, you'll see that there's a lot of conflict that happens in the church. And if you're new to Christianity, let me just be real clear. This is not a group of people who have it all together, all right? This is a group of people who are honest enough to say, we ain't got it all together. And there's a lot of issues in the house tonight. I can go ahead and pinpoint you. You know, I'm just saying, I'm not going to do that. I, th- I thought you wouldn't tell me or tell people about our account. Anyway, so there's a lot of issues. And so Paul, when he's writing to these churches, he's like, hey, y'all need to get along, man. You know, and he'll use phrases like, who bewitched you? church of Galatia. And then he'll tell another church like in Corinth, it was like Christians gone wild. And he's like, hey, it's not a good idea for y'all to tolerate home dudes sleeping with the stepmom. It's just not going to work. That doesn't make Jesus look good, right? And so he's writing, correcting all of these things, doctrinal things, and then also things that are being allowed in the church. But there's this one church, and I would contend that it's probably Paul's favorite church. Because when he's writing this letter, he, he speaks differently. Like he addresses some issues But he speaks with this heart of like, it's like he's in love with this church. Like there's something about this particular church and this particular letter. When he writes to them, it's like, it's just overflowing with excitement and oozing with with just love and support for this church. And it's the church of Philippi. And that's where we start tonight, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says Paul and Timothy. Timothy's like Paul's protege. He's like a, a, you know, like a, a little brother in Christ. Saying the church, it's like Timothy's Paul's disciple, if you will. This is Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Bishops and deacons, kind of like church leaders. So you see people with lanyards, those are kind of like deacons and bishops, be like, you know, other leaders like myself, that sort of thing. He says this grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes into this prayer, he just writes out his prayer for them in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time, or I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making request for you with joy. Now this word joy is, is key to understanding Philippians. Like the greatest concentration of this word joy or this usage of the word joy is found in this little letter. Like, like mentioned every chapter on every page of this letter is joy. There's joy in so many different things and Paul's going to unpack that and and so he, he's praying, he's like saying, but God, I just thank you so much for these people. Verse 5, he says, for your fellowship in the gospel, note this, from the first day until now. Like, like Paul has been with them from, from the get-go. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're partakers with me of grace. He's like, man, we're all family. Like, we're all on the same page. And then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection 
of Jesus Christ. So it seems like it's like a love letter, right? I mean, like to speak of that, you know, like, like dudes, we don't really speak this way to other dudes, right? I mean, and so Paul, there's some, there's some history here. And, and so what happens inevitably when we get dropped into like a story of, of somebody's uh, and we hear language like this, like for example, if you were to look in, in my Bible that I, that I study out of, I, I like to hide letters that my wife has written to me over the years. She calls me her hunk of a man. And um, I used to be a hunk, now I'm a little bit of a chunk of a man. Anyway, and so, and so there's like this one letter that says hunk real big on it and there's some things that she's wrote to me and, and it's a love letter. I want you to imagine you found that love letter and, and you read some things that she thinks about me and, and you would be wondering like, like how did y'all meet? You know, tell me more about this story. And, and so we're dropping in on this, this love letter, if you will, or at least this section where Paul's expressing his love to this church at Philippi. And, and, and it leads us to ask the question, well, how did this church even start? Now, the Bible is a collection of 66 books written by several authors over the span of 100 years. And if you're new to the Bible, it doesn't read like most books read. That's why if a Christian gave you the Bible and he was like, hey, don't start at the beginning, but start in the middle like John or something like that, you know. It's kind of like, so you want me to read the book but not, not at the beginning? Like, you don't read it like any other book. It could be a little bit confusing if I'm being honest. And, and so what's neat about the Bible, though, is that there are certain books that you can read alongside of each other that will help you understand what's going on. And so I want to take you to one of those books right now. It's called the Book of Acts. And so if you're in God's Word or if you're on the YouVersion Bible app following along with us, why don't you go to the Book of Acts. Acts is also in the New Testament, and it's going to be the first book that comes in after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts is going to drop in right there. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And what happens in Acts chapter 16 is that we see how Paul met the people that were the foundation of the Philippian church. And so it starts off with this, and you see that Paul in verse 6, like he was, he was actually trying to take the gospel to Asia. And he gets this dream, and in this dream he has this vision from a man from Macedonia. This man from Macedonia comes to Paul and is like, Paul, why don't you come to Macedonia? And so Paul was like, well, that's weird. Maybe it was the burrito I ate. I don't know, but I, I, maybe I should go. And so he goes to Macedonia, and Macedonia is this region, kind of think modern-day Greece. And so instead of going to Asia, he actually goes towards Europe. And, and the main city in Macedonia was this city called Philippi. Now, Philippi was built on a couple of things. It was built on wealth and war. And, and right um, in the, the outskirts of Philippi were these gold mines, which is fitting because, like, if you know anything about the Bible, Philippians... It's jam-packed full of gold, y'all. And so we're going to be digging for gold, and we're going to expose some of those beautiful scriptures in all of, all of the Bible in this one little book called Philippians. And it was built on war, too. Like one of the greatest showdowns in all of Roman history was this giant battle that 200,000 soldiers came in, 40,000 casualties. And inevitably, soldiers, they settled there with their families. And they established this this hub of urban trade and this hub of trade in the ancient world called Philippi. And so Paul comes onto the scene in Philippi about 42 AD. And while he's there, he meets a, a, an eclectic group of people. He meets a seeker, he meets a, he meets a slave, and he meets a, a former soldier. And these three groups of people, they come together and they form the church at Philippi. Here's what happens in verse 13. You can see, it says, And on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. So you got this group of women who are at the river market, right? They're studying Beth Moore, and they're getting together on a Saturday. And so they're having a little Bible study, trying to figure some things out. And, and in verse 14, it says, Now a certain woman named Lydia, this is actually where I, I got the name to name my daughter. If, you're, if you have daughters, it's hard to find uh, women in the Bible to name them after that, are, that aren't like, like, you know, like, don't name your daughter Rahab. She was a prostitute before. She's in the story of Jesus, but I just, if you name Rahab, I'm sorry. All right, anyway, so going on. So we named her Lydia because she seems to have a clean slate or we don't know that much about her. So it says, now a certain woman named Lydia, she heard us. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Y'all know where that is, right? That's out in Asia. Anyway, so she's Asian. She's a seller of purple from Thyatira who worshiped God. Now, it's important to know that a seller of purple, that's a big deal in this culture. Like, like, like purple was the new black in this day and age, all right? And so if you were selling purple, that meant you had some, you had some bread. You, you had some coin. You were making a lot of money, all right? Purple was the color of royalty. And so she was a seller of purple. Think Gucci. Think Armani. That's what she represented. 
And it said this, that she worshiped God. And, and note this, that after she heard us in verse 14, or early on in verse 14, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That's, that's so important. Verse 15, it says, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us, it says, you know, and I'm sure they walked up and they were like, dude, look at this place. You know, I got top bunk. I'm, you know, they're like, I got top floor, right? And so they rolled up to Lydia's house and no doubt she had an amazing place. And they began this church called the Church at Philippi. And what's amazing is like this, this church, okay, this is one of the most profound churches. It began the Christian movement in Europe. Like God is so amazing. And he places value on people that, that the world oftentimes, oftentimes overlooks. That the, that the church is a movement for all people. How do you know that, Chad? Well, I know that because God chose an Asian European woman to be the person that started the movement of God to Europe. And the reason why you and I are here tonight is because the movement of God, it pushed through Europe and it finally made its way to Ireland and Scotland and England. And then a few years ago, in effort to find religious freedom, people left and they sailed across the ocean and they came to America. And you and I are here because a woman named Lydia was going to the river market to get some coffee and maybe get some Asian food or some New Orleans-style food, right, on, on, on the weekend. And she's out there, and she meets Paul. She says yes to Jesus, and then she starts this church. It is amazing. If you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the seeker, the seeker. See, Lydia, she was a seeker of God. And she's like this successful, self-made woman, she was an Asian Roman citizen who built a lucrative business in the fashion world. I want you to think like fashionista, right? So she's got like a big following on Instagram. Everything she wears is cute, you know, just that person, right? And, and she's like the CEO of an organization. She's probably got a, like, like modern day, she would have a house in L.A. She would have a house in New York, one in Kansas City. Just kidding, she probably wouldn't be here. Anyway, so she would have one, a Paris home. She would be all over the world. She would be representing Prada and Armani. This is a woman who has done very, very well for herself. But, but there inevitably had to have been this gnawing inside of her spirit, asking herself when she went to fancy parties and drank cocktails and talked about her vacations and all the purple she'd been selling. Inevitably, she had to be asking, is this where I belong? Is this what life is about? Just the bourgeois lifestyle? And then she, she had to be thinking like, like, man, I've reached the pinnacle of success. I'm a, I'm a woman in this culture. I'm dominating my workplace. Is this, what it, is this what it's all about? Is this my purpose in life? And there was something deep-seated inside of her that was like, man, there's got to be something more. And so she begins to seek God, and then she crosses paths with this guy named Paul. And they're down by the river, and they're probably sipping pour-overs in a coffee shop, like key coffee or something like that. And, and then he begins to tell her about Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of this Old Testament book that she's been reading. Like, like Paul begins to say, hey, you know when you read in Psalm 22, where, where the psalmist said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, there was this man named Jesus, and he was the fulfillment of the scriptures, and he prayed that same prayer, and that prayer was a prophecy about him. Do you remember when you read that God made the heavens and the earth, and then he said, let us make man in our own image? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And Paul was like, Lydia, who do you think the us is? That God is three in one, Lydia. And he began to explain to her the, the, the magnificence of Christ being the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament things. And then he, more than likely, he had to make a turn to say, hey, Jesus didn't come just to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus came to fulfill you, Lydia. And the first question that Jesus asked as recorded in John is, hey, what are you seeking? And I think a lot of us, we can resonate with the seeker, right? And maybe you're here tonight and and maybe you, you're a lot like Lydia, like you, you, you found success, right? Like, like maybe you've reached the pinnacle of your career. You just, you're just that person, that guy or that girl that just seems to get promoted, you know, and you're just like, man, I, 
man, I'm promoting here, I'm promoting here, or, or, or you, you've, you're already married, you've settled in, everything is good for you, and, 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 and like you've reached every standard of success that you've set out for yourself, but there's still something inside of you, and, and, and you're like, man, I found what I'm seeking, but I still feel like I'm seeking. And, and Jesus, so he asked this question in John 1, what are you seeking? And then in John 20, he asked another question real similar. He says, whom are you seeking? Like Lydia, maybe she was seeking success or money. I don't know. And maybe you're here and you're seeking like fulfillment, security. And, and you got to ask yourself, like, who are you seeking to fulfill what you're seeking? Like some of you are seeking, like ladies, you're seeking a man to give you security. Bad idea, all right? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. All right, you're going to need more than a man to give you security. It'll help, but it, it's, not, it's not a perfect solution. Guys, some of you are here and you're seeking a woman to give you satisfaction, and, and like, great, yeah, I mean, women provide satisfaction, but, but, but that's not a good idea. It's, it's not going to end well for you. Some of you, you're seeking money to give you significance or whatever it is. What are you seeking and, and whom are you seeking to give that thing to you? Now, I think a lot of us, we can resonate with Lydia's story or we can resonate with Luke's story. Like, like Luke, he, he set out to disprove Jesus and so he started reading the Bible, and he met Jesus. Because there was something gnawing inside of him. Like, like he was a great Division I athlete, and he had a lot of things going for him. He was headed into his career after his baseball career was over. But there was still something that was gnawing in him that, that wasn't sitting right. C.S. Lewis, if you're taking notes, you can write this quote down. Such a great quote. He says this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And if you're here tonight and you're seeking meaning and, and you're seeking God, if you will, or you're seeking purpose, if you're seeking life, listen, come to Christ. Like if you're seeking truth, Jesus is truth. If you're seeking life, Jesus is life. If you're seeking meaning, Jesus is Meaning, if you're seeking satisfaction, Jesus is satisfaction. If you're seeking security, Jesus is security. If you're seeking fulfillment, Jesus is fulfillment. If you're seeking meaning in the midst of your suffering, Jesus provides that meaning. If you're seeking hope, Jesus is hope. If you're seeking grace, Jesus is grace. If you're seeking love, Jesus is love. If you're seeking forgiveness, Jesus is forgiveness. If you're seeking purpose, Jesus is the one that will give you all of these things. He will give you all of them when you get him. Like he came to make your sense, or excuse me, he came to make sense of your questions. Jesus offers a purpose that suffering and death cannot remove. He offers a satisfaction that is not based on circumstances. He offers a freedom that does not hurt, but rather enhances your love. He offers an identity that, that doesn't crush you or exclude others. And he offers a hope that can face anything. It can face the market crashing. It can face your life unraveling. It can face a broken relationship. He offers a hope that can face death. And Paul, he unfolds these things to this woman, Lydia, who was seeking God. And it says in the scripture that when she heard it, her heart was opened. And I could just imagine Paul was like, let me tell you how Jesus does all this. See, Lydia... I'm about to write this letter called Romans, <laughs> and uh, what I'm writing Romans is, is a few things, like Romans 3.23, that we've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And, and Lydia, you got to know that the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I'm going to write that in Romans 6. In Romans 5, I'm going to say this, but that God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus came and he died for us. And Lydia, if you want to know Jesus, I'm going to write this in Romans 10. You, you, you need to note this, that, that, that if you want to know Jesus, all you need to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And if you're seeking God tonight and you're seeking purpose, I wonder, have you ever done that before? Have you ever had that time in your life where you, where you gave your life over to Jesus? If you haven't, man, why not do that tonight? And a lot of us, we think that seeking God is the same as being safe with God, and it's not. That somehow if we died in our seeking of God, that God would somehow give us mercy. 
That's just not how it works. Because if you're seeking God, you're still a sinner separated from God. And so why not make the decision tonight? Why play games with God? Why take the risk with your life? If you're seeking God, he's wooing and romancing you so that you would know him tonight. So that he could give you a people and he could give you a purpose. So that's Lydia. That's who Paul met. And they start the church. What goes on in verse 16 in Acts 16, it says this. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us. The spirit of divination, if that's a new word to you, probably not a common word that we hang out with. Like, she is so fine and she's divinating. You know, I don't know. Anyway, so it, it's not a word we use. And so um, it, it literally means like she's a psychic. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen those or been to that place or whatever. And it's like palm reader, tarot cards, like Chloe that you see on TV late night. Anyway, so that, that's, that's this woman. That's what she's doing. And it says in verse um, 16, goes on, said, who brought her masters much profit by fortune tell. She was good at it. In verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us, and, and she cried out saying, these men, are, they're servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way to salvation. She's like mocking them. In verse 18, it says that she did this for many days. But Paul, and I love this, greatly annoyed. It's okay, man of God, to get annoyed with crazy people, all right? I'm just kidding. Anyway, but it's okay, I guess. Paul's still a sinner, so I don't know if it's okay. Anyway, Paul, greatly annoyed, just gives me some comfort, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, right? He's like, knock it off, right? And, uh, and he came out of her that very hour. Paul, this is how he rolled. Point number two, if you're taking notes, write this down, the slave. The slave. So, so here's what you got. You got Lydia and her household, right? And they're the beginning of the church. And so everybody's like wearing skinny jeans. Everybody's look put together. I mean, they look good. They're drinking pour-overs at church. They're, they're, on, they're talking about their Instagram pages and what vacation they've been on. This is the first church. And then this girl comes to Jesus, and they're like, she ain't like us, right? Lydia, she's, she's an Asian Roman. This girl's a, she's a Greco-Roman. They grew up different. Lydia, she, she's kind of all put together and always looked good in whatever she wore. And this girl, she just didn't really, you know, she's kind of homely probably, right? And and Lydia, she, she, was, she was reasonable. Like Paul got to sit down with her and talk with her about the scriptures. Um, this, this girl, this slave girl, wasn't, wasn't a reasonable girl, right? And, and, and Paul, he was able to reason with Lydia, but not this girl. He had to rebuke this woman. And so this is the beginning of the church. Like, like Paul isn't going to this slave girl and saying, hey, hey, we're doing a seminar on crazy. You should come because I think that we're going to drop some things that you should pick up in your basket. No, that's not, I mean, she, she wouldn't have responded to that. He didn't go grab coffee and do a Bible study with this slave girl. Where he reasoned with Lydia, he had to rebuke this girl. She had a spirit of, the Bible says, divination. Again, she was kind of like a psychic. The Greek word for divination is only used here in the whole Bible, and it's the, the word python. It's a representative of, of like a dragon or what we would call a python snake today. Y'all know what pythons do? Yeah, so python's kind of an interesting animal. It's a very large snake, and they're not poisonous, and so a lot of people have them as pets. And, and so when they bite you, they, they, don't really, they can't really hurt you like with poison. But the way that they kill their prey is that they wrap themselves around their prey, and they constrict and then they slowly suffocate their prey. I read a story this last week about a family, and they had a pet python. And uh, no doubt they probably bought this python when it was a baby. But by the time they had a baby, this python had grown to over eight feet long. And, and they decided that, you know what, we love the python, we're going to keep the python, and we'll just keep the python away from our baby. Well, the news story said, tragically, that when the baby was two years old, the snake had escaped its tank. And this couple wakes up, and they find this python wrapped around their child. And it was too late. And they thought this, that, that what was most precious to them, no doubt, was their little baby girl. And they thought that what was most precious to them could coexist with an apex predator. And this is a picture of a lot of us here tonight, right? Like as sad and as tragic as that is, let us learn a lesson about our life. 
Like some of us, we, we come in here and we, we resonate with this slave girl, right? Like, like we resonate with her and, and we, we resonate like we feel like we, maybe we don't have a, we wouldn't call it like a spirit of divination, but, but maybe you come in here and you have this invisible thing that is wrapped around you. And if you're being honest, it's suffocating. And you may have put your church face on tonight because this is a church building. You may have come in here and people say, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. But what's really going on is that there is something that you can't explain. You don't know. You call it anxiety. You call it depression. You call it addiction. You call it judgmentalness. You call it whatever you want. But it's wrapped itself around you. And you wake up sometimes immobilized. And that which is most precious to you is your heart. And you think that that which is most precious to you can coexist with something that is detrimental to you. And the reason why you think that is because that thing that is detrimental to you now was once in your control. Like, like they probably got this snake when it was cute and small and it would wrap around their arm. And, and they kind of liked the pressure that it brought. It was pleasurable, a little bit comforting. And maybe there was a time in your life where you had something that was, that was kind of manageable, you know? And the pressure was comforting to you or pleasurable to you. But now as that has persisted, it has gotten bigger. And when it grabs a hold of you, it's not letting go. And this woman in the story, man, her, her story is it's so sad because the spirit that was a hold of her was something that was brought upon her. It wasn't really something she chose. And some of you, you've come in here tonight and, and you are one big walking sore. And, and you have allowed your abuse to be your excuse for you not trusting God. And you're blaming God for sin. That was never his plan. And he's wanting to provide a solution to you to come out of your hiding He's wanting to provide a solution to you to get that thing that is crippling you off of you. See, John 10, 10 says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That Satan, he, he, he's like a snake and he wants to constrict you. That he's let lust get out of hand in your life. He's let people pleasing get out of hand in your life. He's let pride get out of hand in your life to squeeze you. He's done it to me too. And there's no amount of theology that's going to help you reasonably get out of this spirit, this slithering spirit that's coiled itself around you. No Bible study is going to reason with your situation to try to, I mean, to try to talk you out of this thing that's trying to kill you. And with every ounce of love that I can have in my voice and every ounce of authority that Christ has given me, if that's you tonight and you are in slavery in the name of Christ, stop it. Be done with that thing. Throw your computer away. Break up. And quit letting the enemy rob you of life. God has so much more for you, church. Jesus has come to set the captives free and to crush the serpent and to crush the head of the enemy. We find in Genesis that, that Satan comes in the form of a snake and he tempts our first parents to let all this stuff come out. But we also find in Genesis 3 that God doesn't give up on us. He actually preaches the first gospel or, or the first bit of good news. And what he says is that there will be a time where there will be one born of woman whose, whose heel will be bruised by this snake, but he's going to crush the snake. That, that Jesus has, has come to die on a cross and to raise from the grave. And when he resurrected, it was a resounding declaration that the snake has been crushed, that no power in hell, no scheme of man can, 
can ever pluck you out of God's hand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can stand against the power of the great I am. And his name is Jesus. That God has a people for you if you're in slavery. God has a purpose for you if you are in slavery. God has a place for you if you are in slavery. And don't let Satan's pythoning purposes steal, kill, and destroy you any longer. Come out and be set free. So Jesus gives this slave girl, gives her new life. And anytime you're you're in something like this and, and you start breaking free from it, man, there's going to be some, there's going to be some problems, right? And some of y'all know this. You you got clean and your, your dealer was, was heckling you or, or you got in that relationship and it's been difficult, right? Or, or, or you, um, you, you started following Jesus and your own family was like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? Anytime you come out of something, like it's, there's going to be casualties, and, and that's what happens here, that the, 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 the people that were kind of overseeing and really pimping out this girl, like they get upset at Paul and his crew. And so they, they file a report, and they actually have Paul and his crew, they, they have them um, by the authorities' power, the authorities come in and they strip Paul and his crew naked and they beat them publicly. And after they beat them publicly, they throw them into prison for what's going on, for preaching the gospel. And we see in verse 25 how Paul responds. Here's what it says in verse 25, Acts 16, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, that was one of his boys, they were praying and singing hymns to God. You, you understand that? But they just got beat on their back, all right? And at midnight, they're, they're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, the jailer that, that received them, he didn't have to do this, but he just probably had a little mean streak in him. And so what we see in the text prior to this verse is that he actually puts Paul and Silas in stocks. Now, now not, don't think stocks like you saw like in, in a movie, you know, like Les Mis or something like this, where they're just sitting through these wooden things. These stocks would have been things that would have been shackled to their legs and would have spread their legs out so far that they had to keep tension in their muscles in order to stay upright that they would have gone in and out of charley horses or cramps in their legs. And what we see here is that these men in the midst of that pain, they're raising a song. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, like Paul has literally got to be the most frustrating person to be around if you hate the gospel, you know? Like, Paul and his crew, they're like, man, we just, we're called to preach. That's my purpose. And they're like, no, you be quiet. He's like, no, I ain't going to be quiet. You be quiet, right? Like, and he just keeps preaching. Like, they're like, Paul, we're going to kill you. He's like, to die is game. We're going to put you in prison. Put me in prison. Just give me some parchments and a pen. I'm going to write some letters. And what you don't know, <laughs> the bestseller of all time, it's going to have my letters in it. <laughs> well, Paul, we're going to put you on a ship, and, and it's going to be shipwrecked. Well, then I'll just find some driftwood, like Tom Hanks. And I'll have a little Wilson, and we'll have a moment. But then I'm going to roll up onto an island, and I'm going to start preaching when I get to that island. Well, Paul, we're gonna we're gonna put you in. Well, we're gonna put you on house arrest. Put me on house arrest. I'll talk to the guards around me. They're gonna get sick of hearing about Jesus. Well, Paul, we're gonna put you in stocks, and we're gonna make it painful. Beat me. Put me in stocks. Watch me sing. Right. And he starts lifting up a song, and it just seems like this guy will not be silenced. When was the last time you sacrificed to make the gospel heard? And so Paul, he's got this mentality, like he's just, he's about it, man. This is life. He's living for a kingdom bigger than his, his, his own. And, and so we see him here. And what happens in verse 26, something crazy. It says, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. I'm talking, that's a prayer service, y'all. That's a praise service, Right? And the door of the prison awake, excuse me, and the keeper of the prison, awaking from a sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, that's what I would have thought, he drew his sword and he's about to kill himself. Like this guy who's who's seen war, who's now a jailer, he's about to kill himself. Why? Because this guy was the sum total of his job. 
in an effort to prevent shame being brought upon him because if they would have found him failing on the job and letting the prisoners go, they would have killed him anyway. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to bring more honor upon myself just by taking my life. And he had this mentality that it's better to take my life than to fail at life. And, and sadly, you probably know somebody that had that same mentality. And so Paul, he, he doesn't leave. And, and what's crazy is that you would think, like, I'd be out, y'all. Like, if I've been beat in stocks and then now my liberty's here, I'm gone. But, but Paul, he, he stays because he knows that if he stays, he will have an opportunity to share the gospel with this guy. And so in verse 28 it says, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, hey, do yourself no harm for we're all here. I was like, what? And then he called for a light. He's like, I don't believe y'all. And he ran in. And he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. This word trembling in the Greek, it literally means that he is quaking. That this earthquake led to this man's heart quake. Verse 30, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what do I got to do to have what you got? He says, what must I do to be saved? Such a great question. Verse 31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, and to all were, who were in his house. And, and notice this, he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes. Like How humbling it is to cleanse the wounds that you inflicted. Because now your eyes were open to the truth that all men were created equal. You know John Newton's story. He was once a, a transatlantic slave trader. And he robbed people from their African homes. And he abused them and he sold them and he treated them like they were less than human. And then God changed his heart. But he took to his grave this overwhelming weight of the atrocities that he had done against people. And so it's from that heart that John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I bet this jailer, he could have sang a similar song. It says this, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Verse 34, now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And listen, he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So in a matter of moments, he went from, I'm going to kill myself, to I know God, let me rejoice. Point number three, if you're taking notes, write this down, the soldier. The soldier. Now this story of this guy, for me, it's got to be the most miraculous of them all. Like, this guy's like a blue-collar, ex-military, jail keeper. Like, like, this guy's not, he's not buying the latest Tim Keller book, right? He's not podcasting Matt Chandler. Uh, he's not waking up on Monday, clicking on the latest verdict video, getting some motivation and theology. Like, this is not this guy, right? Like, he's probably tuning into The Simpsons, uh, drinking a six-pack every night, and just, you know, yelling at his kids and just doing, like, the average blue-collar thing, right? Playing fantasy football, going to the game on the weekend, and he's really not wrestling with, like, what is my purpose in life, right? He's not that guy, okay? He's pragmatic to the bone, right? He, he doesn't have any huge problems. He's just trying to keep his, ha his wife happy and his kids healthy, and he just wants to live a simple life, work an honest job, be a good Roman, but when his job goes down the tubes, he quickly considers taking his own life. And, and the reason why I think this story is so amazing is because I think a lot of us come in here and we really resonate with this guy. Like the, the, the fastest growing religious affiliation in our generation, they're called the nuns, not N-U-N, -N, we're not going Catholic, all right, um, but the N-O-N-E. And what that means is like, hey, are you a Christian? Nah. Are you an atheist? Nah. I'm C, none of the above. And there's this, there's this, this disenchantment in our culture with religious things. And on top of that, the greatest unreached people group in our nation today is the millennial male. And not only the millennial male, but, but the, excuse me, not only that, but the hardest person to preach the gospel to and, and to share the gospel with is the millennial male. 
And like, there's a lot of us here, and I don't know what's brought you here tonight, but I think some of you here, you fall into this category. You're, you're just like this soldier guy. And like, you're just satisfied with playing fantasy football, living in some fantasy land, chasing fantasy women, until one day when you get that job at Honeywell or Cerner or whatever it is for you, and, and you settle down, and, and you just have the two kids, and you have the nice house that then, you know, you sell, make a little money, get the nicer house, and then you retire maybe around 60, 65, and then you get to play a little bit more golf or boat or hunt or whatever your thing is. And we think that this is life. But what do you do with that person? Maybe you work with this person, or, or maybe this person's a neighbor, or maybe they were a roommate in college, or I know you ran across this person, this person that was like Paul and Silas to this jailer, that, that just has this inexplicable joy, you know? Like it just seems like the circumstances around this person's life just don't phase them. Like you know, like their parent just died, or they just got the diagnosis, and they're singing and praising God. You're like, what's wrong with you? But there's something inside he's like, man, they got something I don't have. And on top of that, maybe you've had somebody in your life and they, man, they have just served you. And what do you do with that person? Like this jailer, he's asking the same thing. Like, what do I do with Paul and Silas and these guys? Like, they obviously have something that I don't have. Like, like they're living for something more. And it seems like what they have, like, is amazing. I, I was sharing about how I have some band of brothers that I link arms with. And we, we battle against the gates of hell together. It's exciting. More purpose. I got my people. And I had this guy came down, and he was former military. He's jacked up. He's like, man, I just got off of, of drugs about a year ago. I struggled with PTSD. I fought. I did two tours in the Middle East. And he's like, man, I, I just, there's something like, can this be real? I said, man, you're going to need a band of brothers. He said, yes, that's what I'm explicitly talking about. Right here in church. I'm like, hey, man, you can't say that for it, right? Just, you know. Because he was saying, man, I, I long to be a part of that brotherhood and that camaraderie once again. And I believe that the reason why the millennial male is not rising up and falling in love with Jesus in his church is because we as a church haven't called men to a greater mission. And if you're a man, I want to call you up. You want to be a part of this movement and this mission called a loving relationship with Jesus where you go defend the defenseless, where you go push back the gates of hell. What could be more exciting? And you live for a kingdom that it will far outlast you in your little 75 years of whatever wealth you can accumulate. And you can get over yourself and you can live for something that is glorious. And I believe when we call men to a heroic vision, they will rise. Because God has put a heart of a warrior inside of all of us. If you don't want to rise up to that, what happens when life quakes on you? What happens when your plans don't really play out? What happens when everything that you've built your life on crumbles? You're going to take your own life? You're just going to end it? Man, God has so much more for you, church. He has so much more. And maybe you're here and that's you, and maybe you're asking, what, wait a minute, what do I need to sign me up? What do I need to do? Let's go. Man, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. That means you no longer find your identity in your work. You no longer find your identity in, in being mean and tough and gruff and hard-hearted. But you come to God and you say, God, I am not God. You are. And I bend the knee. And when you do that, God gives you a new purpose. He gives you a people to belong with, a band of brothers. And so this is the foundation of the Philippian church, this fashionista Asia, Roman, this, this slave girl, now this soldier, and they come together. The church is a movement for all people. And Paul was there in each one of these stories. So when we go back to Philippians, he starts writing like, oh my gosh, I was there when you came to Christ. And so 13 years later, he's sitting in a prison, and he's thinking about these stories and all that God has done, and his heart is just leaping on the inside. He's rejoicing because no doubt this slave girl, she's probably married by now, has a few little kids running around, and they're all decked out in purple because Lydia hooked them up at that baby shower, and then you got the soldier that, that's still a little bit, little bit gruff, still a little bit rough, you know, and he's like talking to the kids in a harsh voice, but he thinks it's really sweet, and so they're always trying to recalibrate that guy, and they're all together. Their families, and it's kind of crazy, but it's cool, and it's this beautiful display of what God brings together. And Paul, he's just so excited. So every time I think about you and pray about you all the time, I'm just my heart is so filled with joy. And then we pick back up 
in Philippians 1, verse 9, and he, he continues to express his praise. So this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Notice this, to the glory and the praise of God. What's crazy about this whole story is that Paul is right in the middle of it. And oftentimes, like, we don't, we don't really think about this, but, like, Paul's story is crazy, y'all. Like, he was a terrorist. Like, the first martyr in the church was a guy named Stephen, and Paul oversaw, oversaw the, the killing of this man. And Stephen was trying to preach to the Gentiles. It's as if God was up in heaven. He's like, hey, it didn't work out for Stephen. Um, Paul, he'll work. The guy that was killing Stephen, God called to be the greatest missionary. That, that Paul, he would say that none of this would be possible if I didn't know Jesus. That Jesus has, he would say that Jesus has given me this purpose and this mission and this people to belong to. And he would say that I count my life rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the hero out of all of these stories. If you're here tonight and you want to know Christ and you want to have a people and you want to have a purpose and a mission and to be a part of the greatest movement called the church, trust Christ. Whether you're the seeker, whether you're the slave, or you're the soldier, every one of them came to a point in their life where they made a decision to trust Christ. Why not join the greatest mission? Why not join the greatest movement called the Church of Jesus Christ and allow him to move into your life and give you purpose beyond any success you could have, give you liberty greater than any slavery you could have, and call you from finding your identity in your work. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you that as we talk about these stories, these aren't, these aren't the only stories. God, that we get to celebrate even the story of like my brother Luke and how he trusted Christ, that you are in the, the life-changing business. It's your job description. It's what you do. And so, God, I pray now that you would help us to, to trust you, God, that you would impress upon us an unwavering conviction to trust you. God, if we're seeking, we would have come to the conclusions that we need, maybe not gathered all the evidence, but enough evidence to trust you. God, if we're being wrapped around by this, this python, this spiritual snake, God, that we would come out of that and we would trust you. God, if we're trying to live the American dream, that we would stop and we would live your dream and we would trust you. Would tonight be a night of life change for your glory? In Christ's name, amen.